eternal song for long before you made the heavens both you and he rejoiced as one and long before you formed the angels before you made the day and night Jesus exalted in your presence and he was all of your delight Father what love you've shown to sinners that you would send your son so dear into this world of grief and trouble to bring unworthy sinners near we'll never fathom how it pained you when you supplied the offering to rescue those who had to stand you to watch your dear son suffering <clears throat> Jesus it fills our hearts with wonder that you would leave your heavenly place to take on flesh to thirst and hunger to save the ones who spurned your grace you came to forfeit every mercy to die that mercy we would find and then you hung alone in darkness so in our hearts your grace would shine jesus in glory of ascended never again to leave your throne because of you we are befriended received and welcomed as god's own father how sweet now is your pleasure in us your daughters and your sons we will delight in you forever in jesus you have made us one in jesus
Open your Bibles with me, if you would, please, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter four. Brother John began reading in verse twelve, first Peter four twelve. I'm going to read beginning in verse one, and I'm going to read down through verse thirteen. So I'm going to kind of give us a, the verses that we looked at together last week. Uh, to help us to remember the context of where we are. And then after that, we will uh, pick up there. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh, hath ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banqueting, and abominable adulteries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit." But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober, watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partaker of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Our Father, help us again this morning. To understand what it is to be a new creature, what it means to have a new life. Lord, what it is that you're doing in our lives, what it is you're demonstrating in our lives, what it is you're proving in our lives. And Father, I thank you that I can ask you honestly and confidently that everyone who hears 
would know whether they have the truth or not, whether they have the real thing or not. Lord, it doesn't matter whether anyone can convince anybody else what they have. What matters is what do they really have. And Lord, you're the only judge of this that matters. Lord, I ask you that you'd bless us, that we would care about these things, and that we would live in the light of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. In 1 Peter, just like in the book of James, we are in the section of our Bible where God is proving what we have. What do you really have? What do you really have? In the passage that John read earlier, it says in verse 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, look up here, if you will. Going to church in America is becoming, what's the word? Not popular, not normal even, not normal. Um, when I grew up, when I grew up uh, in the 70s, I was a, a teenager uh, in the early 70s, and I graduated from high school in the early 80s. Um, when I was a teenager, it was still reasonably common for people to, to go to church on some level. Now, where I went to church, where I grew up in New England, where I went to church, what was preached was what we refer to as a social gospel. It was really a be a good citizen. Um, if you live in a small town in Vermont, Everybody helps everybody else. It's, it's, uh, I, I, the irony is, one of the greatest successes in America is the, what we would understand as the Judeo-Christian ethic, the idea of being kind to your neighbor or doing unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And, and this was still prevalent in America when I was growing up. That idea was still prevalent in America when I was growing up. But where I went to church uh, as a teenager... The gospel wasn't preached. There was, um, there was no need for the blood of Christ because we were all doing as good as we could already. And if our good outweighed our bad, we would ultimately end up being all right and God would allow us into his heaven. That's the, that's the preaching that I heard as a teenager. That's not the truth. But here, listen... I don't think that people stop going to church because of that, because that's a very easy way to go to church right there, right? You, you, you hear a little bit, find out you didn't do so good this week, but that's okay because there's next week, right? You leave and you say, you know what? I'll do better this week than I did last week, and I've still got a chance, you know what I'm saying? The scales are, I know they may be tipped not in my, they're not in my favor right now, but just a couple of, I called my grandmother a couple of times this week, woohoo, man, that'll just tip those scales right back in my favor. I can you know, help my neighbor in the yard a little bit. There are things that I could do. Now, I may not do those things this coming week, but there are things that I could do. There's, there's hope for me still. But here's what God wants you to understand. There's none righteous, no, not one. We have said about an America today, it's, it's, it's remarkable to me, if you drive a car that burns too much gas, you're a terrible person. Right? 
You can live with three other men or seven other women, but if you, but if you drive a, a green car, you're a great person. Do you understand? Now listen, I'm not picking on driving a green car. I, think it's, I, don't think, I don't think we should abuse the planet that we live on in any way. But this is my point. Oh, by the way, if you eat um, kale, right, you're a great person. If you eat pizza, not so much. Now, I, I know this sounds odd, but you do realize that there are many people that really believe that what you drive and what you eat has something to do with how, how good a person you actually are. Whether you believe the Word of God or not, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, what I'm saying is this. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. But what we have done is we have taken the God who said this is good and this is not good, and we have completely rejected that. But because we have a conscience, we have to feel good about ourselves. So we save the whales, right? Right? And is anybody, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you've ever um, left the television on and walked back in to turn it on at night, right, and there's this infomercial, and it's one little African animal after another with a beautiful song playing in the background. And we must rescue these poor little animals from whatever it is. I don't know. I don't watch it long enough to know what they need to be rescued from. And listen, I'm not saying we want to treat the animals poorly or that we should cut down all the trees. That's not the point at all. The point is, listen, we in America still want to, quote, unquote, feel good about ourselves through our works. We just said, let's reject what God says about this. Let's make a new set of rules, rules that we can keep, right? Because I can eat kale if I'm willing to. And I can drive a car that has a battery in it instead of burns gas if I'm willing to. We can do these things, and then we can feel good about ourselves. But what God wants for us is far better than this. What, listen, hear me. Please hear me. What God wants to do is rescue us from selfishness. Do you understand? Selfishness. Not replace religious selfishness, which I, I admit the world is full of religious selfishness. But our Lord Jesus is not full of religious selfishness. What God wants to do in our lives is to set you free from you. Now, here's what, here's what he's saying in 1 Peter. What do you really have? In the verse I read, verse 13, let's look at it for just a moment. It ends with this. Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. God's desire is that you and I would be glad with exceeding joy. Let's go back to chapter 1, because what I want you to understand is nothing is changing throughout this book. This book is, is actually, listen, I need you to understand this. There's a very short letter. When I was in the Navy, my wife would write me letters. Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever receive those letters? And they were reasonably lengthy, right? And you didn't care how long they were. It wasn't like I got a letter from Kathy and it had seven pieces of paper in it, and I was like, oh, you're kidding me, right? Every seven pieces of paper, this is absurd. I looked forward to every line in the letter. Now, if you lived when I did, back before there was any email or phone calls when you were at sea, it was a two-week turnaround. Every letter was a two-week turnaround. In other words, if my wife asked me a question in a letter and, and everything went well, it would be two weeks before I knew she had received the answer and we were on the same page. That's, and so every single thing that I received from her was literally precious. The most popular person on an aircraft carrier where I was is the person that handed the mail to people and said, 
you've got letters, right? You've got mail, yeah? Some of you recognize that. Some of you don't have any idea what that was. That was already electronic at that point, by the way, by the time we were getting mail that way. What God is saying here is not long. First Peter is not long. It, it takes us a while to study it in depth like we're doing right now. But if you look at it in my Bible, with the, the, way, the way the ink is and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, that type of a thing, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's seven pages. That's if you count both the front and the back of the pages. So it's not long. But let me ask you this. Have you read it? Have you read it in one sitting? Now listen, look at me. If it seems strange to you that I would ask you, have you read the book that we're currently studying on Sunday morning from beginning to end in one setting? And you'd say, no, no, preacher. I, I hear every week when you and John read, I hear those verses. That's, how, that's, my, that's terrible. It's terrible. This is a precious letter from our Father to us. It's one of the reality epistles. Again, if you go back to James, in the book of James, the same thing is being um, talked about in the book of James that we're finding out in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude. And this is this. The gospel's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel. What happens is this. God promised, please hear me. I'm not going to take a lot of time to do this. This is so important. Your Bible is not this large, ambiguous book with references in it for preachers to preach from. Your Bible is the word of God from God to us. It's very orderly. It has significant purpose. And if you understood it as God would have you to, it would cause you to trust him more every single moment of every day. How many, listen, I'm be honest with you. you. You be honest with me, please. How many of you would be honest and say, I need to trust God more in my daily life? Anybody want to just raise their hand up honest with that? Okay, that, that's good. And you know, it's interesting because almost everybody raised their hand. Because we're, even if you really are growing in grace, even if you are growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus, you're still aware, I just don't trust him like I ought to. I just don't trust him. Now, here's the thing, and here's why we say that. Because I have never trusted him, and he failed. Never. Now, I've trusted people, and they have failed. People have trusted me, and I have failed. But I've never trusted God, and he's failed. Never. 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 God is faithful. God is worthy of our trust. Listen, the vast, please hear me, there are many of you who are really new creatures. You are born again, and your flesh is ruining your walk with God. Because your flesh is constantly lying to you about what should be going on in your life. And so there's continual failure and frustration in your life. Now, there are some of you here who are not born again. You are not new creatures. You have gone to church for a period of time. You might have joined this church. I may have baptized you. You have a profession of salvation. You say that you are something that you are not. And here's the good news. If that's true, God wants you to know you don't have the truth. Now, again, let me just give you my son, Andrew. By the way, Probably most of you are aware, I know they posted this uh, uh, on Facebook so I can talk about it now out loud, that the Andrew and Kayla are going to have a baby. Amen? Praise God for this. And, and I've used my son Andrew. Andrew has been the source of more sermon material at Tidewater than any 10 other things. Amen? And even if they move away and he goes, you know, and he finishes his graduate work and does research some other part of the world, I'm still going to use him for examples, Okay? 
He just lived a life that was just wonderful for examples, okay? <laughs> I've given this before, but I, you need to hear this. Four years ago now, maybe, he, would, he could tell me when. We were having a tent meeting. He'd just come home from college, your junior year, sophomore year, do you remember? You know those? Yeah, exactly. Junior, his memory's getting his minority. He's either a sophomore year, junior year from college. And here's what happened. He, he, he'll testify to this. This is what happened. He came home, and it was time for our tent meeting, right? Time for our tent meeting. He got home, starting, starting summer vacation, two weeks, every night, tent meeting. And this is what he said. I've been going to Bible college all year long. I don't need two weeks of a tent meeting. I just don't need it. I don't want to go. But he, he lived with us, right? And he's, he's, in, he's, he's in college, but when he came home, he lived with us. So it wasn't, we'd like you to come if you feel like it. You're coming to tent meeting every single night. Now, but listen, listen. I don't think asking some, I, I mean this with all my heart. I don't think wanting my son to come to tent meeting every single night makes me a bad parent, right? I think it makes me a good parent, right? You should want your children to be in church, yes? Yes? Now listen, if it's not a good church, then don't go to that church. But you should want them to be around people who love Jesus and people who are going to lead them toward Jesus. Amen? Even when you leave here, whatever, wherever you go to school, wherever you work, if you're not, wherever you are, make friends that love Jesus. Spend time with people that love Jesus. It's good for you to do so. So, so, here's, what, so here's what Andrew said. He didn't want to come. I don't even know if he said this out loud. But he didn't want to come. He told us this later. He might have told us this then. <clears throat> I really don't remember. And I don't want to tell the story incorrectly. Although my wife tells me sometimes I tell the things as I remember them, not as they actually happened. <laughs> but but, the, but the, the, the idea is right, if you understand what I'm saying. So he's coming. And again, um, it's a two-week tent meeting. And this was, I think it was our first tent meeting, maybe our second tent meeting, and it's going into the third week, right? God is really at work towards the end of the tent meeting, and the Lord just seems to indicate he wants us to keep going, so we're going to go into the third week of the tent meeting. And as we're getting ready, as we're going into the third week of the tent meeting, I start coming home after, now here's what happens, the tent meeting ends, you know how we stand around and we talk for a little while, and almost every night of that tent meeting, I would then take Rick Whitlow out to give him something to eat, we went to IHOP a lot, Okay. And uh, so, because there's very few places that are open when a tent meeting is over, right? On the, in the, in the, and so I would take him out, and I'd bring him back, drop him off, and I would drive home, and I would come home, and more than one night, my son Andrew was sitting at the dining room table in our house with his Bible open. Now, this is a very rare thing for Andrew to do. When Andrew did his devotions, he did them in his room, like many children do. And so I don't know how long his devotions were. I don't know what, his, you know, what it was like. But I do know this, seeing him sitting at the table with a Bible open, intently reading it, was very, very different in our house. Encouraging, but different. And so one night when I got home, as soon as I came, walked into the, into the dining room, he said, this is what he said, Dad, what is... First John 4, what's the purpose of First John in our Bible? And I knew he knew the answer to that question. Because it says so in First John, right? That you may know, that's what it says, that you may know. That's, by the way, that's the whole point of, of Jude. That's the whole point of First, Second, Third John. It's the whole point of First and Second Peter. It's the whole point of James. The whole point is, what do you really have there? And this is what I said. I said, Andrew, you know this. It's so that you will know that you're a new creature. And this is what he said. Well, what if you're reading it and you don't know? 
So maybe you're not a new creature. And he got saved. Not then. In the third week of that tent meeting. Toward the end, by the way. Praise God for that. Why did I tell you that? Because it is important. Listen, hear me. God wants you to know if you're a new creature or not. If you're not, he doesn't want you to stay that way. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie to your parents. Don't lie. Just don't lie. If you're not a new creature, you're not a new creature. Do you guys remember, oh boy, I was going to say their name, um, the Prices. You guys remember the Prices, right? Prices are uh, missionaries. They were with uh, Fellowship Track League originally, yes? Fellowship Track League. Older couple, yes? I don't think it's mean to call them old. They're 70s, 80s maybe? I mean, really older. And, uh, I, you, I, you know, as they came to church, oh, yeah, some of you are in the 70s and 80s, and you're thinking, man, he's just really, if you're in your, if you're in your 70s or 80s, the Bible calls you old, okay? <laughs> so there you go. Three score and ten, if by reason of strength, four score, then woohoo, there you go, all right? <clears throat> Mrs. Mrs. Dryley's in, in, in uh, privileged place. You know, who was it? Was it Dr. Smith was sharing something a little while ago. Some woman was uh, 113 years old, and they were talking to her about, about and she said, uh, I look forward to talking to you again uh, next year. And they said, you're pretty arrogant thinking that you'll be alive next year. He said, if you look it up, very few people die between 113 and 114. Mrs. Price was an older woman. She was, she'd been in church for a long, 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 long time. Brother Price, Charles Price, just a tremendous, joyful, happy man. Mrs. Price was not a happy woman. She was a good woman, don't get me wrong. She, she was dutiful, she was faithful, she was involved, she'd been in the ministry with her husband all of that time, and then she got saved, Right? And then she got saved. And by the way, they sent us a new picture after she, got, after, they got, after she got saved. They sent us a new picture for our missions. And the difference in her countenance is evident. Now, I was there last year. I was there. She has uh, dementia now. And I was with them uh, last year for a conference. I may be there again with them this year. She's completely different. It is, it is marvelous to see the difference. Listen, the reason I'm saying these things is what we're seeing in 1 Peter is this. Are you different? Are you really a new creature? Not do you go to church. Now the reason I make reference to this is because if you go back to chapter 1 verse 8, which is where I was going when I started on this, if you go back to chapter 1 verse 8, it talks about the waiting for the appearing of our Lord Jesus. Let's just read. I'm going to read verses um, uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Okay? 6, 7, 8, and 9. And then I'm going to go back and read where we are in chapter 4. 6, 7, 8, 9. Chapter 1 Verses 6, 7, 8, 9. Wherein, oh, we've got to go back to verse uh, 5. Who are kept by the power of God. And I'm, going to st- I'm not going to go back any further. Who are kept by the power of God. Those of us that are new creatures, kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. I'm a new creature. I'm kept by God. Faith has saved me. And when he comes, I'm going to see everything that I've been waiting for when he comes to get me. Amen. Praise God. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious 
than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now you see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end or the goal, the outcome of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So while we're going through these difficulties, those of us that are new creatures, we recognize it's okay. It's temporal. It's only for a little while. And here's the thing. It proves what I actually have. It is, it is exactly what God has brought into your life and my life to find out, not only that I would find out, but that those around me would find out what has he really got there. What have you really got? That's what this is saying. Now, with that in mind, go back to, to chapter, three, uh, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 12. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which, what's it say? What's it say after the word it? Which? Is. Not might. Is. Let's read it again. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with what? Exceeding joy. The same exceeding joy that we, listen, please look at me, this is so important. The same exceeding joy that was introduced to us before the extent of the difficulty was explained to us is now being rehearsed to us here. And this is what he's saying. Look, look up here. Now, by the way, this is important. Circle beloved in verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12, circle beloved. It's important. Then go back to chapter 2, verse 11, and circle dearly beloved. Okay? Now, this is important. This is critically important that you understand this in its context. Remember, starting in chapter 2, verse 11, God is going to introduce the four places in your life where these trials are going to come. The four places in your life where these trials are going to come. The first one is in your what? community. Just think it that way. The first one is where you live. You can go back and look at this. Go back and look at it and you'll see this to be true. The first place you will be tried, what have you really got there, is just in the community where you live. The state, the city, the actual neighborhood. This is the first place where fiery trials will come into our life, just in our everyday citizenship. That's the beginning one. The next one is where you go to work. Where you go to work. The next one, it starts in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. Where you go to work is the second place, the second place in everybody's life where there will be fiery trials, where there will be attacks, where people will say things that are mean or rude or even hateful, perhaps. These are where they will happen. That's the second place. The third place, it starts in chapter 3, verse 1, and that's at, the, at home. It, it starts with wives who have unsaved husbands, and then it talks about husbands who have unsaved wives. And what God is saying is this, in your community, in your workplace, in your household, and then lastly, down in verse 8 of chapter 3, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion in your church. So look, look up here, please. Where are the, look, please, it's so important, please hear me, I'm going to be done in just a minute. Where are, where are the fiery trials going to happen in your life. Where are they? In your community, 
right, in your citizenship, at your workplace, right, where you go to work, which is the worst, which is harder, yes? Is it not harder to come under fiery trial at work than just where you live? Here's the irony. I don't know, but it's like, you know, my, my, uh, my next door neighbor said this. He, says it, uh, he said this a number of times as I lived there. Here's what he said. You're never home. You're just, he said, you're never here. He said, you guys seem to sleep here, and that's about it, right? I don't know about you, but we are very seldom at, our, at, at my house, 5316 Bosworth Road. We are very seldom at that address because we are constantly doing something else. Do you understand? So now, now, before I was in the ministry, I spent at least eight hours a day at a workplace, right? Eight hours a day at a workplace. And so I was there a great deal. But worse than going to work in a difficult place is, is coming home to a difficult place. And everybody who has to come home to an unsaved loved one or a difficult place where they live understands that when you come, I mean, my wife said it the other day, again, we were talking about it. She said, I know that when you come home, you like it to be quiet. And I do. Because, it's, because as the pastor, there's not a lot of downtime or quiet time. It's just, it's just not like that very much. And so when I get home, I, you know, my, my wife and daughter will come home sometimes. I'll be home by myself, and it'll be almost completely dark and quiet in the house. And I love it. So, you know, somebody will say, you know, if you're traveling by yourself, you know, boy, don't you hate to have to eat alone when you're traveling? No. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? Or you have to go back to an empty hotel room? No. Now, after a little while, really, honestly, after a couple, two or three days, you really miss your family and you really would like to be with your family. But to be able to have that little bit. So God is saying in, in the society where you live, where you go to work, where you go home. And then honestly, this is the, this, and I know I say it all the time, but I still think people say this because I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to say it. There should be nobody ever getting hurt here. Nobody. Doesn't matter whether you're visiting, doesn't matter whether you've been here forever. There should be nobody that would come here that would suffer gossip or bitterness or frustration or anger. It should never happen. But sometimes it does. And, and honestly, and I mean this, I don't mean to be mean when I say this, shame on you for hurting somebody else. Shame on you. God set us free from that. Shame on me if I do it, amen? God set us free from hurting one another. It doesn't matter what their past was like. It doesn't matter what they're going through right now. If we can help them, God help us, let's help them. This is what God wants to accomplish. But what he says in these passages, this is leading us into chapter 4, right? In all of these places, there will be fiery trials. But listen, they're not accidents. I know, I know I've said this a lot. I know, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to do something. I'll be careful how I do it. Because Kenny is also three score and ten. So if I come down here and I, and I push Kenny, right? If I come down here and I, or just, I could have just stood up there and insulted him, right? right? I could have just stood up there and, you know, I asked Kenny what he was doing this weekend, uh, yesterday. I said, did you have a busy day yesterday? Because I was thinking, he's retired, what is he doing? He's not doing anything, right? And I said, did you have a busy day yesterday? He said, yeah, I had kind of a busy day. I said, really, what'd you do? He said, well, I came to church for prayer in the morning. And I thought, yeah, that's not busy. I was here for that too. It was, you know, it was quite new. And then I went home and I, and I cleaned my house. Yeah, huh? Huh? Now I could have stood up there and made some joke about that, right? And uh, and then and then seen how he responded to that. The reason I say this is this: What do you really have? Now let's say let's say I, let's say I actually insulted Kenny, right? Now I, you know, again, I could have insulted Ronnie Jacobs. Look how big he is, right? Right? I could have insulted Jim Bradley, and, and he might have killed me without even thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to insult Kenny to prove my point, right? You understand? 
because I'm not an idiot, right? So, so I'm down here and I'm shaking Kenny. But listen, what do we really find? This is what happens, I'm telling you. When we're hurt in one of these places, what is proven is what do we really have? Now, let me ask you this question, and I mean this with all of my heart. Let's, let's, instead of it being you that's being hurt, instead of it being you who's being abused, let's let it be Jesus instead. How does he handle it? Honestly, let's be honest. How does Jesus respond in the society where he lived to being handled poorly? Well, we see how he does. How about where he works? So what, what I mean by that is, so the scribes and the Pharisees, how do they treat him? How about at home? What are his disciples like to him? Right? And then when he's hanging on the cross, everybody's gone except for mom, a couple other women, and John. Yes? Yes? And how does he handle it? How does he handle it? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen? What do you have? What do you, really, what do you have? What do you have? Are you free? But Jesus said this, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I really am free. I am. I really, you know, what's interesting is I am not free because I'm a pastor. I am a pastor, by the way, because I'm free. God did call me into the ministry, but I am free because, of, I am free because God loved me. Right? John did a good job in Sunday school in this room talking about that. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was going to die for us. Amen? And he did, and I'm free. And I'm free. Amen? I am a new creature. But listen, listen. Here's what I, here's what, here's what, this goes back to what I was saying about my son Andrew not being free. My son Andrew was not free, and he knew he was not free. It wasn't that he didn't have the fruit of the Spirit filling his life. He didn't have it, and he knew it, and he got saved. And praise God for that. But here's what God has convicted me about in the last five years. It isn't that I wasn't saved. I was saved at the age of 22, and I was really born again at the age of 22. But what I haven't had is the fruit of the Spirit the way God wanted it to be in my life. That's what I didn't have. And why didn't I have it? And the answer is pride. Only pride. Only pride. Pride kept me from having what God wanted to have because I wouldn't be honest with him about what was missing in my life until I just got sick, literally sick, of just being so selfish in my inward man. Look, most people didn't see me being selfish. Some of you probably saw me being selfish. It might be explain why some people don't go to church here anymore. But the difference is, if you're not a new creature, you can't be set free. If you are a new creature, you are set free. And if you are a new creature, then you can have these fiery trials in your life to prove what it is that you have. And what you have is Christ, or not, one or the other. Either you have Christ and praise God for that, or you don't have Christ. Now, by the way, let me say this. When we have people come in who don't know us, if you have Christ, if you're a new creature, and yet you walk after the flesh, you hurt them. Because what they see is you, and you hurt them. Do you understand? Does everybody understand that? Do you understand why it matters? Why God is saying it matters that we be filled with good works? Not because we're going to get saved by them. We're not going to get saved by them. But listen, please, if you're putting on a plastic front at church, people are going to see through it. And that's hypocrisy, and they're going to want nothing to do with it. I don't, I don't blame them. Do you blame them? But if you're a new creature, they should see love, joy, peace, 
Goodness, meekness, temperance, long-suffering. This is what they should see when they come. What they should see is, now what, let's look at it for just a moment. Let's go back to that last place where he says uh, we're joining together. That last place where there could be conflict. Let's go back and look at it in verse 8. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. This is what our life is meant to be. Now, let me just, let me just show you one more thing, and I think we'll be done for this, moment, for this morning. Verse 8 of chapter 4. Verse 8 of chapter 4. The people who aren't saved treated the people who were poorly. Verse 6 says that the people who were saved had the gospel preached to them, and then they were judged according to men in the flesh, but they live according to God in the Spirit. In other words, they were actually put to death because they trusted Christ. Because the people around them did not want the glory of Christ in their area, these people were put to death. But it's okay because they're fine. Okay, That's the point. We, listen, if you trust Christ, you're fine. If you trust Christ, you're fine. If you trust Christ, you're fine. They can, make, they can end your physical life, and that's not the end of the world. It's certainly not the end of eternity, amen? They can end your physical life, but if they're going to end your physical life, may they end your physical life with you saying this, God be merciful to them, right? Don't lay this to their charge. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May that be what we see. So what you see in this is, is verse 8, verse 8. And above all things, above all, all things have what? Fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. This is what God wants to accomplish in our life. This is what he wants. This is what he's able to do. Now, I'm going to end here. It's time to be done this morning. I want, you to, I want to ask you this question. And I mean this really, truly. What have you got? What have you got? Are you really a new creature? Are you really born again? Do you know your sins are forgiven? Not do you go to church, not were you baptized, not did you join a church, not do you tithe, not do you give faith promise. All those things are important. They are all important, but none of them will get you into heaven. Are your sins forgiven? Do you know it? Now, if that's true, if that's true, praise God. And here's the second question. Are you being conformed to the image of, of, the, of Christ or not? Is that what's happening? Now listen, please hear, please, please look up here. This is the difference. That, this is the difference that God is making um, here at Tidewater. Not just here, but he is making it here. And that is this. God is, and you're telling me, I'm not telling you, you're telling me, you're coming to see me and telling me, God is changing my entire heart about everything. The way I live, good. That's what he wants to do. That's the point here, Yes? The fiery, listen, the fiery trials are to purge out me completely. Just get rid of me. The fiery trials are to, listen, uh, we, we, you know, we had Thursday night men's meeting. Had a good group. We had a large group Thursday night. Wonderful time. Come join us if you want to be with us. We had a wonderful time together. Here's what we're aware of is this. This is, what, this is the testimony of, of many of the men that come on Thursday night. I won't give any specifics, but this is it. When we're pushed, when we're pushed, sometimes our flesh wants to respond. Yes? Yeah? Anybody else ever have that experience? Right? Right? 
right? If you push me at the wrong time, specifically and especially, if you, I'm telling you. Now, here's the wonderful thing, and, my, and, my, and I guess I think my, Rebecca would be able to stand up and, and testify to this. She does, well, I mean, they see a lot less of my flesh at the house than Andrew had to, for example, or Amanda had to. I would love to go back. Please hear me. If you're a young father and you're angry, there's something wrong with you. You may be born again. I hope you are actually born again. I was. But if you're angry, it's not okay. I used to really think that I, well, the only reason I'm angry is because you guys are wrong. Right? If you were all perfect like me, our house would be wonderful. You think I'm joking. Right? I am very type A. I am very OCD. I am very, I mean, I'm just... I mean, I was an engineer. I have an engineer's mind. I, everything, there, there's no reason that you couldn't put those away when you were done with them, right? Down is not away. That was my answer. You know what I'm saying? Down is not away. You know what I mean? Anybody else, anybody else like that? We should have dinner together. Amen? Amen? <laughs> and we'll clean up afterwards, won't we? Amen? <clears throat> God had to set me free. Literally. Had to, listen, had to set me free so that my children could be free. This is what God wants to do in our house. Be honest about it. Are you really a new creature? Are you really a new creature? If you're not, you need to be saved. Now, I can't save you, but I can point. I will help you, right? I can point to some passages where God will show you the truth. I mean, we, you, don't, you, you don't need me. You need, an, you, need, you need an honest heart and an open Bible. That's all you need. An honest heart and an open Bible. Preachers, listen, the, 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 the purpose of the preacher is to point you to the Christ of the Word of God. So let me point you there. Jesus is who he says he is, and the word of God is quick and powerful. All you need is an honest heart and an open Bible, and he will save you. But I'll be glad to help you, and many other people will. But listen, if you're a new creature and you're not being changed, if the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 are not what's normal in your life, listen, hear me, normal. If your normal life is not love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, if the gentleness, if, the, if these are not the normal thing in your life, you're being cheated out of your birthright. And worse, the people around you are being cheated out of seeing Christ in you, which is what they need. Do you understand? The people that you go to work with, the people that your extended family, your, your neighborhood, these people do not need to see religious people. They don't need to see religious people. They need to see Christ. And they need to see Christ in you. That's what they need to see. And by the way, you can't do that. Only he can do that. Amen? But here's the, here's the good news. Praise God. He can do that. He wills to do that. Boy, I'm... Uh, we had a pastor's fellowship on Friday. It was a person uh, in his 70, 70, year, 70, 70 something year old man uh, preaching. And, he, he, and uh, the, topic, the, the topic was the need in America today. And so he talked to them about how far America's come from what, what God would have for America. But that's not what the messages were about. Were they, Kenny? They're about how great Jesus is. And I watched a 70 year old man. Just having a, just a wonderful, it was just tremendous watching this 70-year-old man, this old fundamental Baptist, having this wonderful time in how great Jesus is. Amen? And it was encouraging to me, a younger pastor, to just realize this is the point right here. This is the point. And above all things, put on fervent charity. Have fervent charity care about this. This is what God wants to have. This is the victory for us. This is the victory for the child of God. Father, thank you for your word again this morning. 
Lord, I look forward to what it is that you're going to accomplish, Lord, in our hearts from your word. Lord, I pray, I, I pray for everybody in this room, Lord. Lord, I cannot, I cannot, you are the Holy Spirit. It is your job to move through the pews and to convict and to convince. It is your job to set people free. It is simply mine to point them to you. But I am so aware that you are so able to set people free from, first of all, from the penalty of their sins. Lord, you can set them free for everything they've ever done. You, can, you have paid for it with your blood. And then you're able to set us free from the power of that sin, that we do not have to live under the power of that sin anymore. Now, Lord, we know ultimately, and we are looking forward to this. Boy, are we looking forward to this. And this, and this chapter really uh, brought this out again. We are looking forward to the absence of the presence of any sin. When you come again to get us and take us home to be with you, there'll be no sin at all. And we thank you for that. But Lord, you're very clear that now, in this present time, there will be fiery trials. But it's okay because you're above the fiery trials. And they're only there to remove the dross in our lives anyway and to prove that we have the golden article, the genuine saving faith and the power to be changed in the midst of these difficulties. Thank you for this. Now, Father, for anybody for whom that is not true, would you save them today, today, for Jesus' sake. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now, I'm gonna do something I don't do it often, but I am going to do it this morning. I'd like you to just bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. And I'm just going to ask two questions. 